Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, you can visit teacherluke.wordpress.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 184 of Luke's English Podcast. This is the second in a two-part series called Luke's D-Day Diary. Um, What happened is, a few days ago, I went to a town called Caen in Normandy uh, in order to commemorate the 70th anniversary of D-Day. And while I was there, I recorded an episode of Luke's English Podcast. Um, as well as um, commemorating the, the, the D-Day anniversary, I also went to see a special charity performance by Eddie Izzard, who is um, one of my comedy heroes. And um, in part one, you hear me talking about finding my accommodation, talking to my friend Sebastian Marx about D-Day and what that meant, talking about the story of my grandfather called Dennis, who is 94 this, this year, and when he was 24 years old, he actually took part in the D-Day landings. He was an officer in charge of 35 men, 35 soldiers, and he was one of the British soldiers who um, travelled across the English Channel from England uh, with a massive armada of other ships from um, all around the world, uh, with soldiers from the United States, from Canada, from Britain, and from many other countries. So um, Dennis, my grandfather, um, landed on Sword Beach in Normandy in order to invade mainland Europe and fight back against the Nazis. Um, he, was 30, he was 24 years old in charge of 35 men. And really, I sort of owe a lot to Dennis. Um, so in this episode, um, you find me... Uh, I think the last thing that you heard in part one of this was me in a car after having just seen Eddie Izzard's show, feeling very excited. Why was I so excited? Because I'd actually met Eddie Izzard himself. Um, I'd met him in his dressing room, sh uh, I shook hands with him, and kind of hung out with him and some of his friends, and I was just on the way to go and actually have dinner, sit down and have dinner with Eddie and some of his friends. I was incredibly excited. I still can't believe it. Still can't believe that I met him. He's one of my comedy heroes. You might, it might not be such a big deal for you, kind of a big deal for me. Anyway, I was feeling very excited, and that's pretty much where we left off in part one. So, you can now listen to part two, and here it is. It's about to start right now. Hello, everybody. It's now a quarter to two in the morning. That's one 45 a.m. and wow what an evening it turned out to be. I think the last time I spoke to you I was um, in the back of a car with Yasin, feeling pretty excited because um, 
I'd just met Eddie Izzard, or I was going to meet... No, I'd... I, yeah, that's it. I'd, I'd already met him, and we were on the way to a restaurant where we were going to eat uh, with Eddie and some of his friends. And that's exactly what happened. Okay, we sat down in a restaurant. I uh, ordered a steak. I ordered a massive entrecote, a massive ribeye steak. One of the biggest steaks I've ever seen, which was a surprise. I just ordered a steak, and then this huge, massive... It was like a cow, basically, with the, a cow that had had its legs and horns removed and just put on a plate. Um, that was good because I was hungry. Anyway, the, the, the amazing thing for me was that there I was at a table with, you know, Yassin and a couple of his friends and then next to Yassin was Eddie Izzard. So there's me, Yassin, Eddie Izzard and a group of Eddie Izzard's friends. Um, you still don't know you know, um, who Eddie Izzard is, possibly, so I should probably tell you a little bit about it now as I'm walking back to the apartment. So, Eddie Izzard is a stand-up comedian from England. Um, he started in the early 1990s, and um, he's... I think he's one of the biggest names in stand-up comedy in the world. He's also been in various Hollywood films. He was in a film called Valkyrie with Tom Cruise. He was in Ocean's Eleven. No, he was in Ocean's Twelve and Ocean's Thirteen. Um, you, you probably don't know him, to be honest. Um, although he is making a name for himself around the world by doing his stand-up comedy shows in different languages. Um, so he sort of really made himself famous, first of all, in the UK by doing um, really original stand-up comedy. Now, we know Monty Python. I think most of you know about Monty Python's Flying Circus. I've been meaning to do a podcast about Monty Python for a long time. Still haven't got round to it, but I will. And I will also do a podcast about Eddie Izzard, so I won't go into too much detail. Um, right, so he is like the Monty Python of stand-up comedy. What that means is that Monty Python, they were a comedy group who made TV shows, very funny, very influential stuff in the 1970s. Eddie Izzard is generally considered to be the guy who continues that school of comedy, but in the form of stand-up. So he's like Monty Python, but one man doing all of it on stage, on his own. And so he's kind of surreal, he's intelligent, he talks about history, um, he... Um, he ha has a kind of stream of consciousness approach, which means that it looks like, when he's performing, it looks like he's just making up his ideas off the top of his head as he goes along. He kind of creates his own scenes and acts them out. You might think to yourself, ah, oh, that sounds familiar. That sounds a bit like those stories that Luke tells us on Luke's English podcast. Well, surprise, surprise, of course, I'm very influenced by Eddie Izzard. I can't talk about myself... Um, sort of in comparison to him because he's achieved so much but um, um, certainly I've listened to his shows on CD and on DVD and stuff so many times that it's really um, influenced me there's people on the other side of the road here and I think they're probably able to hear me so that's making me self-conscious because they're speaking English as if, I don't know if they're speaking English because they can hear me or because they're, I shouldn't be too worried about it. Anyway, um, 
so yes his style of comedy is you know has influenced me so much obviously I do stand-up comedy and his way of doing it has really influenced the way I do my comedy and the way I approach recording episodes of Luke's English podcast I know compared to what he's done my work is really small and not that significant really in the scheme of things um, but it just shows how important um, his work is to me personally and what a big deal it was to actually meet the guy so I remember uh, when I was about 16 or something 17 I saw Eddie Izzard on TV I thought it was amazing it blew my mind the black the back of my head just exploded when I saw him on TV and he, he was talking about um, learning French he's got a whole routine about learning French and the complica complications involved and watching that routine was hilarious it was amazing that one man could um, create these hilarious scenarios and break all the rules and it was just brilliant so from then on I was a big fan um, all the way through to for example when I lived in Japan um, obviously I was living on the other side of the world away from my own country and everything but I had some Eddie Izzard CDs and I used to spend a lot of time lying on my bed listening to Eddie Izzard talking about crazy ideas and uh, talking about the history of the world in his own way and that entertained me and I listened to them over and over and over again so I think that Eddie Izzard's voice is in my head somewhere um, so that's obviously very impressive and brilliant he became famous in the United States as a result of his big fame in the UK and what else so basically he, he became a, a world well in terms of the English language speaking world he became one of the biggest names in stand-up comedy and that is a big thing maybe in your country stand-up comedy isn't such a big important industry but in the English-speaking world it's massive it's you know almost as big as the music industry so Eddie Izzard is a huge star right I think you get that don't you I think you are starting to pick up on that um, alright what else has Eddie done he also speaks other languages he learned He's, he's learned French, he's and German and uh, Arabic and um, he wants to do shows in, in Russian and things like that. So he, as well as doing his shows in English, he also does his shows in French when he goes to France and he, ha he, he doesn't speak French perfectly. So it's a massive challenge for him. I mean, we know how difficult it is to do comedy in another language because you listen to my interview with Yassine Bellhouse so it's clear so but Eddie started that okay he was the first one ever to do stand-up comedy in a second language in that country it's it's quite a big deal um, he also does shows in German uh, in Germany he wants to do shows in the Arab the Arabic speaking world in Arabic in Russian and so on all right now there's more what else has he done um, a few years ago for charity, Eddie Izzard uh, ran a marathon every day for about a month. 
Okay, right. Now, a marathon, that's 26 miles. You know what it's like. If you, Many of you may have run a marathon. You know, your friends maybe have run marathons for charity. They run and, it, and it, it's, it's incredibly hard, incredibly painful to run a marathon. It's, it destroys you physically. It's the sort of thing you do once in your life if you're not a sportsman. And um, it can, you know, it's incredibly challenging. Eddie Izzard didn't just run one marathon. He ran something in the region of... Now, I can't tell you the exact number because my phone has lost... My phone's run out of battery. Uh, but it's more than 40 marathons in 40 days. More than that. More than 40 marathons in 40 days. Imagine running a marathon every day for 40 days. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? Uh, well, that's what he did for charity. It's that stunning achievement. I mean, how can someone physically do that? Uh, every day, running a marathon, um, it's, it just, the mind boggles, really. I can't even quite comprehend how impressive that is, but he did it. Um, what else? He also has ambitions to um, go into politics in the future. He said that in some points, maybe in about four years' time, he's going to run for Mayor of London. That's right, he'll make a campaign to become the next Mayor of London. He'll have to compete with other candidates, but um, that's, there he goes. He's ambitious, right? He also wants to go into politics. He's kind of um, a, uh, a liberal person. He's a bit left-wing. He hates fascism. He hates uh, right-wing uh, policies and things, and so he would run for London Mayor as a way of fighting against uh, the, the forces of fascism, as he may put it. Um, so just he's an all-round impressive, inspi inspiring kind of guy. So this is the guy who I lay on my bed in Japan when I was feeling, you know, a bit lonely and I didn't have TV to watch. I listened to him. And this is the guy who's influenced me so much in uh, my own kind of comedy work or whatever. And uh, I actually got to meet him today. I shook his hand. I sat just near him, you know, listened to him in conversation. I didn't really talk to him much because I, f I was shy, to be f to be honest. I didn't want to say something stupid and lose his respect or anything. So I didn't really say anything. I just listened. Because there's a lot of pressure in myself. I didn't want to... I don't know. I didn't want to say something stupid. Imagine if I'd said something stupid and Eddie had looked at me like I was an idiot. He wouldn't do that because he's just a nice guy. But I didn't want to sort of spoil it by opening my mouth and letting something stupid come out. I don't think I would really say something stupid, but anyway, I thought I'd play it cool. I didn't want to be all crazy, like like the crazy fan. Oh, Eddie, I'm a big fan of your work. You're fantastic. No, I, he was with his friends. I wanted to be cool, so I didn't really talk to him, but I sat and listened to him, and I made eye contact with him and stuff. Um, wow, incredible. And I did shake his hand and said a few words to him. What was it like? Um, what's it like meeting not only a sort of famous star, but someone who means a lot to you? Well, it's really weird. I mean, to be honest, it felt like, you know when you go to, let's imagine you go to Manhattan, and you stand and you look up at the Empire State Building, that's a bit how it felt like. I felt really small, you know, I just felt like I was in the presence of like a great person. I'm, I know that I'm making it sound 
bigger than it really is, I'm probably overly impressed. But that's just how it felt. I felt like, um, you know, when you when at night you look up at the sky and you can see all the stars and you suddenly realise kind of how small you are? I felt a bit like that, you know. Um, it was impressive. Um, um, now, like, another impressive thing was that Eddie had... Right, he'd come here, he did a, an hour in, in German, an hour in English, and then an hour in French, all right? Wow, that's already impressive. But he, he came here to Normandy in the middle of an American tour. So yesterday he was in the U.S., doing shows every night like you know this week he's been in the US doing shows every night T today he just flew to Normandy just to do this show and tonight he's flying back to Chicago eight hours on a, on a plane and he's then going to continue with his American tour visiting American cities doing his show every night it's incredible I'm, I'm surprised he's not completely exhausted I'm very impressed by the energy that this guy has um, right that's enough about Eddie Izzard. Uh, one day I will play some of his comedy to you and you might understand. You, you might understand why I like him so much. Certainly you might just enjoy listening to him and have fun. You might not get the humour because I understand that humour doesn't perfectly translate. But at least you'll, you'll be able to get a flavour of, you know, um, Eddie Izzard's English. Um, and if you like Luke's English podcast, I wouldn't be surprised if you liked Eddie Izzard too. Um, there you go. That's enough now. I think I'm going to go back to the apartment and lie down on my medium, on my medium hard bed, which is going to be perfect. And I'm going to sleep nicely. And then in the morning, I'm going to get some breakfast somewhere and uh, head back to, to Paris, head back to home. Um, this is probably far too long now, this episode of the podcast. Um, so this might be good night. It might be goodbye, bye, 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 bye. Uh, but I might add a little bit tomorrow just as a way of sort of finishing this off. All right, so good night, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'll probably speak to you in the morning at some point. But for now, good night. Night. Hello, me again. I'm now walking down the street towards the apartment where I'm staying. Remember earlier on I was worried about the noise of the bars that uh, are on this street? Well... No need to worry, because it seems to be pretty quiet. It's quite nice and peaceful, really, compared to the area that I live in in Paris and the area where I have an apartment in London. Um, it's pretty uh, it's pretty quiet and peaceful, actually. That's nice, isn't it? Uh, maybe I'm on the wrong street. Actually, I think I might be on the wrong street here. Um, I'll, I'll let you know when I find the apartment, when I'm standing outside the O-Rock, bar. I'll let you know how noisy it is. Oh no, no, I'm, I'm in the right place. There's Mozzie's bar. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, bonsoir. Some, uh, drunk French guys there talking to me. They probably think I'm, uh, a crazy person for talking to myself, but, uh, you know, that's just the way it goes. The Mozzie's bar is closed. No noise there. And O-Rock is also closed. So no noise coming from that too. Nice and peaceful and chilled out. Um, all right. Good. So I'll probably speak to you in the morning, I imagine. I'm now going to go into the apartment and crash out in bed in the nice, uh, medium to hard bed, which, um, is going to be very comfortable.
Alright, so probably speak to you in the morning. Good night. Hello listeners, it's now the morning and I'm sitting here outside a cafe with a coffee, refreshing myself, just trying to wake up. It was quite a late night last night, wasn't it? I think I, I last time I spoke to you it was about two o'clock in the morning. So I got into the apartment, everything was fine, got into my room, couldn't find a light switch anywhere. You know those, I don't know if you ever have those situations where you're in a place, for example, you're, you're staying at someone else's house and you don't want to make too much noise and you don't know the place, it's late at night and you're trying to find the light switch. Well that's what happened to me last night, I was hunting around the room trying to find the light switch it was completely dark pitch black couldn't see anything so i had I, I, my f mobile phone had run out of batteries so i couldn't use that as a torch so i was using my digital watch which has got like a green backlight i was using the backlight of my digital watch to help me see in the dark and i was like crawling around this room trying not to make too much noise you know because the people who owned the apartment were asleep in the room below me so i was like creeping around in the dark with my uh, uh, my Casio digital watch with its backlights, desperately trying to peer into the darkness to try and find a light switch. I never found the light switch. Um, I just couldn't find it anywhere. So what I, what I then decided to do was search for a, a plug in the wall, a plug socket, um, so I could then plug in my mobile phone, recharge it, and then use the phone as a kind of torch to illuminate the room, so I could then, you know, like, sort of get undressed and get into bed successfully. Um, you know, it was pretty crazy. I managed to do it. I found a plug after searching for ages. I, I felt quite pleased with myself because I found, uh, like, a radio Right, I was searching around in the darkness, I found a radio and I thought, ah, a radio, it's an electronic device, it's probably plugged into the wall. So I attempted to like follow the cable uh, down the back of the radio and I found, ultimately, the plug socket. And when I found the plug socket, it was like, yes, you know, I was so pleased, it was like victory. But I couldn't celebrate too loudly because I would wake up... Uh, you know, my neighbours, so I found the plug socket, and you know when you, 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 well, when you want to celebrate really loudly, but you can't because you have to be quiet, I was like, in the darkness, oh dear, what a weird experience that was, so I plugged the phone in, I've got a torch application on my phone, and that was brilliant, suddenly I could see the whole room, um, the bed and all that stuff, so I got myself ready for bed, and then I creeped, I crept downstairs in order to, you know, wash my face and brush my teeth and stuff. Got downstairs, got to the area where the bathroom was, couldn't find the light switch there either. So I had to do the whole thing again, but this time in a bathroom. So I was kind of like creeping around the bathroom, desperately trying to find a light switch, trying not to stick my fingers in, in uh, electrical sockets, you know? Because that, be, that would be unfortunate, wouldn't it? That would be ironic to come here to Normandy, to Caen, uh, where my grandfather fought for my life and everyone else's lives and his life uh, 70 years ago. And then I come back to commemorate the experience and I end up electrocuting myself to death in a bathroom. That would be unfortunate and ironic, I think you'd agree. Anyway, eventually I found a light switch, I brushed my teeth, and all it was all good. It was quite a quiet night. The bars downstairs, what were they called? Mozzies and... 
O'Rock. They they were closed by the time I went to bed, so no noise from them. The only thing that disturbed me during the night, um, and it wasn't, uh, it didn't really disturb me that much, but there was a huge um, thunderstorm um, which came over the the building in the middle of the night, and uh, loads of lightning and loud thunder very dramatic the rain was hammering down on the roof of the building and so that woke me up it's amazing even when you've got your eyes closed you can still see the lightning so I had my eyes closed and it was like BAM like the lightning was so bright because there was a there was like a window in the in the roof above me so I could really see the lightning clearly and I just lay there looking through the window in the roof and every now and then I could see bits of forked lightning fly through the sky and then a few seconds later the thunder came you know I love it to be honest I love a thunderstorm when I was a child I used to be scared of thunderstorms but um, these days they're just so exciting it's so dramatic isn't it you know all of that electricity flying through the air and the noise that it makes it's incredible um, fascinating stuff the the whole thunderstorm phenomenon. Um, anyway, so quite a peaceful night, uh, despite the massive thunderstorm. Um, and now uh, it's quite cool. The, the the high pressure front that was here, the warm, uh, slightly humid weather has passed a little bit, and it's quite cool and fresh this morning. A bit grey, but that's all right. Um, I wanted actually just to make a couple of corrections to things I said yesterday on the podcast. One of the things I said was that my granddad was 63. No, not 63. What am I talking about? I said that he was 93, didn't I? I said he was 93. Not true, in fact. He's actually 94, which is even more impressive, I think. I mean, it's always impressive when um, someone reaches a, a ripe old age, isn't it? 94 years old. And he's still, you know, he's totally with it. He's totally together. I mean, he's totally mentally sharp. Um, he's not quite in the same physical condition he was when he was a 25-year-old man. Uh, but um, mentally, he's still totally sharp. He's brilliant. I'd love to have Dennis on the podcast one day. don't see him as much as I should do, but um, I'd love to interview him on the podcast and just see what he has to say about stuff. I know that you'd like that. I haven't had, like, an elderly person on the podcast before, I think, so it would be great to interview Dennis Hallam and just ask him questions about stuff. I don't know if he would want to talk about the war, because, to be honest, he doesn't really like to talk about it. As I said yesterday to you, he'd, he'd rather not really talk about it, and that's totally understandable. I, sometimes he's willing to answer a couple of questions, but I wouldn't want to probe too deeply into that. Um, it's his own private memory, and uh, you know, I wouldn't want to force him to relive it. Um, but anyway, it'd be good to speak to Dennis. Um, that would be nice. The other thing I wanted to correct was the number of marathons that Eddie Izzard ran. I, I wasn't completely sure how many it was yesterday, um, and I checked, and he actually ran 41 marathons in 53 days which is still incredibly impressive, isn't it? 41 marathons in 53 days. Um, wow. I'm going to do an episode about Eddie Izzard, okay? I know that I go on about him quite a lot, um, and you might get a bit bored of that. I don't know. But um, 
I think it would be he's a good subject for an episode of the podcast because of all his language learning things and all the other interesting things he does and there's lots of other things I haven't mentioned about him I just think he's a fascinating person an interesting case study and yesterday I, I can't believe I met him shook his hand spoke to him sat near him uh, had dinner with him he bought everyone dinner he bought me dinner Eddie Izzard bought me dinner Eddie Izzard not only did he did I see him performing in quite a small venue? I'd, I've seen Eddie Zard twice now. Once I saw him in London, he was performing in the Wembley Arena. Wembley Arena is one of the biggest venues in the country. It's huge, okay? It's absolutely massive. Wembley Arena is like a, an aircraft carrier. It's huge. Thousands of people and tiny little Eddie Zard on the stage in the distance. That's what it was like you know, when I first saw him, in a huge place. He's a massive star in England. Um, and then last night, there were only about 100 people in the room. I was just a few metres away from Eddie Azar, just a few metres away from him during his performances. And then Yasin grabbed me, and next thing I know, I'm walking through corridors and I'm walking into Eddie Azar's dressing room. And uh, as I said, I felt pretty... I mean, I felt, I guess I felt starstruck. I was a bit lost for words when he, you know, he started shaking people's hands, saying hi and stuff, and I was like, hi, Eddie, I, uh, I'm Luke. And um, for me, it was like such an important moment. Uh, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do with myself. Very weird. Um, I keep thinking about it. I keep thinking, oh, God, I, I, want, I wonder what Eddie Izzard thought of me. I wonder if he liked me. That's stupid. Shouldn't be worrying about that. He's far too busy to to be concerned by uh, Luke from Luke's English podcast. <laughs> One day, Eddie's going to come back to Paris, and I'll I'll meet him again. I'll be hanging out with Yasin, and I'll meet Eddie again. And maybe if the situation's different, I'll be able to interview him for Luke's English podcast. I was standing next to Eddie Azard outside the restaurant for a little bit, and I I, I decided I would say to him as a sort of parting gesture, I, th I decided I'd say, Eddie, I'm a massive fan. Um, I used to listen to your CDs over and over and over again. And I said to him, you're in my head now. Um, and he kind of looked at me, and I think he appreciated what I was saying, but uh, I think he was also exhausted and he had lots of other people to talk to, so, you know, he didn't really sort of, didn't really engage with me that much. So I hope I didn't freak him out or anything by saying, you're in my head now. Some kind of weird f sort of psycho fan that I am. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, if you ever meet me, right, if you ever meet Luke from Luke's English Podcast, I'm talking about myself in the third person. If you ever meet me and you're a fan of the podcast, you know what you can say? You can just say, you're in my head now. I mean, don't do it in that voice, but just I'll understand. If you say, you're in my head, I'll understand what that means, all right, and I won't find it weird. I mean, if you, if you do it with that voice, you're in my head now, that, I will find that weird. And if you like gripping my hand while you say it, then yes, I would find that a little bit weird but if you just say hey Luke I listen to the podcast you're in my head then I'll say all oh, right I know what you're talking about I, I I think what I'm doing there is comparing myself to Eddie Izzard aren't I I'm sort of suggesting that if you're a fan of Luke's English podcast and you met me you would feel the same as how I felt when I met Eddie Izzard I can't expect that level of whatever I can't expect that kind of response from you anyway um 
Right, so, yeah, I was just amazed. Couldn't... It, I was lying in bed last night during the thunderstorm thinking, how did I meet Eddie Izzard tonight? That's amazing. Just another another thing in my life ticked off. Another thing on the bucket list. I don't have a bucket list. Do you know what a bucket list is? It's one of those things that some people have. It's usually for like r- retired people, retired men, they have a bucket list. It's a list of things that they have to do before they kick the bucket. To kick the bucket means to die, okay? So a bucket list is a, like a list of things you have to do before you die. As if you can do anything else after you die, which is a bit stupid. It's like, oh, these are all the things I'm going to do before I die, and here are the things I'm going to do after I die. That's a fairly short list. Just sort of decompose is probably the only thing on that list. Um, so f- perhaps on my bucket list was meet Eddie Izzard and uh, say something weird to him. Tick. Achieved. Um, right, I'm now going to drink my coffee. I also bought a little smoothie. A sort of strawberry and apple smoothie. Mm, I've had breakfast, but I wanted some fruit. And I've got a nice bottle of water, so I'm all set up. My train is in about 45 minutes. It's all good, all right? So I'm going to relax, have my coffee, and I'll probably say goodbye to you on the train, because I started recording this episode um, in a toilet on a train, and I think it's probably best to end this episode in a toilet on a train as well. It would give some kind of... Uh, harmony, some uh, some sense of balance to the episode, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. Um, all right, so I'll catch up with you again in a little bit when I'm in a toilet on a train. Okay, bye. Hello. Um, you'll notice now that I'm neither on a train uh, nor in a toilet. In fact, um, I'm in my apartment now. Um, this is a few days after uh, the original recording. Um, and I'm speaking to you now from the apartment because, um, well, let me explain. I did record the final part of this episode in the toilet on the train, but because it was so noisy and so loud, it was. I think it's a little bit too difficult for you to hear what I'm saying. Um, just to give you an example, I'm going to play a little bit of that recording, and I think you'll agree it's not quite good enough. But I wanted to prove to you that I did go into the toilet on the train again, just like I promised, in order to record the final part of this episode. So have a listen. I think you'll agree it's not clear enough. Um, This is what it sounds like. Ladies and gentlemen, hello. I'm now in the toilet on the train um, as I planned. This is now the sort of ending part of this episode. I uh, have just received an email on my phone from my dad and I thought it would be very appropriate to end this episode like this. See what I mean? It's not quite clear enough. And because of what I said in the final part of this recording, um, because I think that what I said was kind of quite important, well, certainly important for me anyway, um, I thought it was worth recording it again so that you can actually hear what I'm saying. So what I wanted to say there was that after after all of that stuff that I'd done, um, I got an email from my dad on my phone um, And I'd like to just read some of the content of the email. Um, So what happened was that my dad um, had been watching some of the D-Day coverage on the TV. And he decided that he would write a letter uh, to my grandfather. Um, I think he'd been watching a D-Day documentary a few days before the commemoration actually happened. And he decided that he would write a handwritten letter to Dennis, giving him a kind of sincere personal thank you for what he and his, you know, um, his generation did. 
you know, by fighting for us and all that kind of thing. So he wrote a letter to Dennis, and Dennis replied. And so I'd like to just read the, uh, Dennis's reply to you. My dad sent it to me. He sent me like a kind of a photograph of the letter. Um, I've transcribed it. You can see it written on the um, on the website for this uh, episode. And I'd like to just read um, Dennis's letter to you. I think this is going to be fine. I know it's a personal letter from him to my dad. I think it's fine just, you know, um, using my judgment. In my opinion, I don't think that granddad would mind me reading this out to you. I think that he would still stand by everything that he said here. And he doesn't reveal anything, you know, too personal. So I think it's fine. In fact, I've asked my mum and dad what they think and they, they agree. Um, they agree that he would be fine with it. So I'm, I'm just going to read it to you now. So, um, as I said earlier, Dennis is, is 94 this year. Uh, 70, 70 years ago, he was just 24. He was an officer in the army in charge of 35 young soldiers. It was his responsibility to lead these men off the boat, up the beach, and ultimately all the way through France and into deep enemy territory. Now, my granddad was a non-commissioned officer. Um, that means that he wasn't in the army um, at the beginning. He wasn't... Um, he wasn't a career soldier. He wasn't in the army before the war started. He was drafted into the army, and because of his um, status in in his in the world of employment, because he had you know a fairly good job as a manager, he became an officer. So they you know they put him straight into the army at the level of officer. So that means that he was not. Well, they called these people non-commissioned officers, okay? And as I said, it was his responsibility to look after 35 uh, uh, soldiers. Um, so I know that some of them didn't survive. In fact, um, when they landed on the beach, um, after running up the sand, I think the first thing that Dennis had to do was bury a couple of the soldiers from his platoon. Um, but as I said in part one to Sebastian... Uh, funnily enough, the, the, one of the most difficult things for Dennis was the fact that they were so seasick um, coming into uh, the beach on the landing craft. They had to spend hours and hours and hours on these boats and the uh, water was very, very rough. And so they were all really sick. And um, strangely enough, um, Dennis says that perhaps the worst part of it was just that they felt so seasick and it was almost a relief to get onto the beach, even though there were bullets flying around and bits of metal, bits of shrapnel flying through the air and probably people being killed. Strangely enough, it was nice to actually get onto, onto the land. Anyway, this is just the typical of my grandfather's attitude, which is that he was a, he's not a very dramatic person. He's very sort of, um, um, modest in a, in a way, and he always plays it down. He plays down the the bravery side of it, and just says, "Oh, we were just, you know, we just relied on our training. In fact, it was kind of a relief to get onto the beach." I think he's being a bit modest there, but but I'm sure it was awful to be so sick. Um, let me see, let me see. Okay, here's the letter from from Granddad, and I'm going to explain this in case you don't understand anything. So he said. Thank you for your thank you card, which made me feel both proud and embarrassed. I was only one of thousands. It was pretty hairy, and for me and many others, it started long before we reached the beach. The channel crossing was vile. 
I was dreadfully sick. At some point during the night, it was my turn to be the duty army officer on the bridge, and I had to climb up there being sick and miserable. So it was almost a great relief to get onto the beach, even though wet through, having had to wade ashore, and even though there were assorted bits of metal flying around. What amazes me and horrifies me is to think that I was just 24 and in charge of and responsible for a platoon of 35 soldiers. If there were privileges attached to commissioned ranks, and there were, of course, I think we deserved them. A lot, a lot was asked of us. However, it was a war that had to be fought, I think, and one simply called on one's training and did what seemed right at any situation. I hope the celebrations will go well, and it's good to know that what we did is remembered and honoured. Thank you again. It was very kind of you. Yours, Dennis. Well, thank you too, Grandad. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, again, I'm, um, I'm a bit sad that the recording I did on the train didn't work out, because when I read that before, I got a little bit emotional, because it was quite an emotional couple of days. And I wanted that emotional feeling to come through on the podcast I wanted it to be real and um, obviously I still feel the emotion now but it's kind of less raw Um, nevertheless I I hope you can um, you know I hope you can imagine how important and emotional um, this celebration was I'm sure that many of you have similar stories um, your parents, your grandparents may have been involved in either this war or other wars um, in which um, you know they did brave things or maybe even lost their lives or, or, or whatever. Um, I'm sure that many of you have similar stories. I'd like to know about those stories, so feel free to just leave a little comment or description um, on the website in the comments section. I'd love to hear about stories that you have from your family history um, because not only it's this isn't just um, the Allies or British soldiers. This war and any other war in the world affect people in a very profound way. So tell me your stories. I, I very I very much like to know what happened uh, to members of your family if you'd like to share. Um, let's see. Let me just explain some of the things that um, Grandad said in in his letter. Um, let's see. He said. Um, it was pretty hairy. If something, if you describe something as hairy, it means it's kind of dangerous and um, um, frightening. Okay, you know, like when the hair stands up on your on the back of your neck. If something makes you feel like that, you can say that it's pretty hairy, meaning dangerous, basically dangerous and sort of exciting, but not necessarily in a good way. Um, it started long before we reached the beach. So he's, he's there talking about the seasickness that they experienced. The channel crossing was vile. The channel, that's the name that we give to the water that, um, the, the water that exists between England and France. We call it the English Channel. The channel crossing was vile. Vile means awful, disgusting and horrible. Okay, vile. Uh, I was dreadfully sick. 
meaning he was vomiting. He was, he, you know, he must have felt terrible. Um, he said, at some point during the night, it was my turn to be duty army officer on the bridge. The bridge is the part of the boat where they have the navigation, you know. That's where the, the, the driver is. Um, that's where they have the you know, the navigation instruments and the controls for the boat, it's raised up, it's a position where you can see more clearly. So I expect that some um, officers that were on that boat had to take turns to be the duty officer, meaning the one responsible for standing on the bridge, making sure that things are organised and under control and so on. So at some point during the night, uh, and this is at night, middle of the night, terrible weather conditions on a very un, un, uneasy boat. He had to be the duty army officer on the bridge and he had to climb up. I imagine he had to climb up a ladder or something and being very, very sick and miserable. You know what it's like when you have, uh, you know, gastric sickness, when you're being, you know, when you're throwing up, if you feel really ill, if you're seasick, it feels terrible. I mean, it's, it feels like you're dying anyway and it's, it's hard to do anything. I remember when I was on holiday in Laos, um, I got uh, food poisoning. I was sick for like 12 hours. I couldn't sleep. I kept throwing up every half an hour. It was awful. I felt like I was going to die. I mean, that's normal. It's a normal feeling. Um, and for me, the, the worst part was that in the morning, after not sleeping and after throwing up all night, I had to then get on a bus for seven hours. And that felt you know, like a horrible challenge. But I can't imagine having to be on a, a boat on rough water, um, sailing towards a war zone where you're going to have to run across a beach while the Nazis are shooting machine guns at you. It must have been unbelievable. Um, he said, um, let's see, it was almost a great relief to get onto the beach. I mean, that shows you how mad uh, the situation was, that he was so sick that he felt relieved to actually get onto the sand even though he was wet through if you're wet through it means you're soaking wet you're totally soaked from head to toe all the all his clothes must have been wet apparently they uh, waded through the water to wade means to walk through deep water you know if you um yeah imagine getting off a boat into deep water you have to walk through you have to push through the water we call that wading Okay, to wade ashore, meaning to wade onto the shore, onto the beach. Um, there were assorted bits of metal flying around, bits of metal flying around. So he means things like bullets, but also he means shrapnel from explosions and shells. Um, shrapnel, when a shell or a shell is, is like a big uh, missile, let's say, or a big, uh, ex a big bomb that flies through the air fired by a gun. And when a shell explodes, it sends out bits of metal flying everywhere. And if you're unlucky, one of those bits of metal will hit you. Flying bits of metal uh, are known as shrapnel. Okay, so he's talking about running onto the beach uh, there were assorted bits of metal flying around, bullets, shrapnel, and so on. Um, and um, 
He talks about the fact that as a commissioned officer, he had some privileges. I expect that means he had more food rations. Maybe he had the right to a more comfortable bed or something. Um, it sounds to me like he may have felt a little bit guilty about having privileges like that. But then he goes on to say, well, in fact, we deserved them because a lot was asked of us. Um, if a lot is asked of you, it means that um, you're given a lot of responsibility. Okay, um, so he explains that um, it was a it was a war that had to be fought. So he's saying that he had he had no choice. It's just something that they had to do um, because the alternative was worse. You know, the alternative would mean losing the war, ultimately being invaded by the Nazis. No thanks. Um, he said one simply called on one's training. Um, yeah, so he just relied on his training. Apparently they trained again and again and again. Uh, they trained by running along sand with machine gun bullets flying over their heads. They actually did real training. Apparently the training itself was extremely dangerous and some people even died during the training. But training is so important because it prepares the soldiers so that when they do it for real, they don't freak out, they don't get completely put off. Uh, it allows them to handle it. Um, I think one of the reasons why D-Day was ultimately a success is because the soldiers trained, they prepared themselves again and again. It was an incredible plan. Um, I mean, obviously it was a horrible event, but still a stunning act of planning and strategy. Um, he just did what seemed right in any situation. I expect my grandfather did some... I mean, I don't know what he did because he's never really talked about it in detail. There are reports, um, and if I did some research, I could find out. But, um, well, it's best not to really dwell on it too much. Um, he did what he had to do, and it's over now. Um, and um, let's not dwell on it too much, although I have just spent nearly two hours doing a podcast about it, but it's worth remembering um, and honouring what happened. Um, that's it, I think. That's it for this ep episode of Luke's English Podcast. Don't forget, I'd like to know what happened um, with um, you know members of your family. If you're willing to share any stories, just leave us a comment. Um, but for now, this is the end of Luke's English Podcast, and I think it's appropriate for us to um, dedicate this episode, if that's worth anything, um, I'd like to dedicate this episode to all the soldiers who lost their lives um, fighting for what they thought was right um, in, in World War II. Um, so, you know, thanks a lot. Um, and, and, and that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and uh, I'll speak to you again soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, you can visit teacherluke.wordpress.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.